Okay, so the song I think best describes the treatment of women in Nigeria is Koroba by Tiwa Savage. <laughs> I don't come this life to suffer. If I follow politician, you go hear them for paper. They go call them prostitution. Who don't like enjoyment? continue listening to that song basically the point is that you hear how the narrative is always shifted to focus on the woman how are you going to access that politician if really and truly he's not the one that came for you first so i feel like you know that's the art that's the music this song that line alone caused so much of a stare people were blaming tiwa that ah, she's encouraging prostitution but no she's just telling you the reality of things stop blaming us for the lapses in your politicians and the fact that they want to spend their money on us <laughs> yeah, so that's the that's the line I think describes the treatment. You special and she reckless. Mbe, you're my bestest friend. Yeah, she my bestie. My love for you is endless. Nobody else can end it. And when I get the money back, then baby girl, you can spend it. Oh. Thank you and welcome to another episode of The Lesser Knowns. Um, I'm pleased to announce that we have um, a guest speaker here today. Her name is Akubeze Okocha. And just to give you some background about Akube, um, Akube is a communications consultant and advocate for gender equality and human rights in Nigeria. She obtained her LLB from the University of Reading in 2015 and her LLM in human rights, conflict and justice from the School of Oriental and African Studies, the University of London in 2016. In 2017, she was called to the Nigerian bar as a barrister and solicitor of the Supreme Court of Nigeria. Akubeze is particularly passionate about the use of media as an avenue to transform lives, give victims of human rights abuse a voice to challenge perpetrators and to effect change. She regularly features on radio and TV programs concerning human rights and women's issues. And she also shares weekly vlogs called Butterfly Transform Yourself on her website. And of course, she conducts social media campaigns on topical human rights and development issues. So thank you for joining us here today, Akube. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on this podcast and to be having this conversation with you guys pleased to hear that. So I know I've given a little bit of um, a background for you, but would you be able to tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, any identities you want to share, family heritage, hometown, and what you do professionally as well? Okay, I am a young woman. I think that's really important to note. I'm a young woman in my mid-20s from Portacourt River State, Nigeria. So I'm from the South. I keep it real. I keep it raw. I keep it honest. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I believe a lot in the power of transformation and enlightenment. That's why I have like an obsession with butterflies and my brand name is called Butterfly as well. So yeah, I believe that these kinds of conversations, crucial conversations will really go a long way, even beyond our lifetime. You don't know who can listen to this years from now. And I just love creativity and, you know, challenging the standard narrative of 
things. And I also have a particular passion for women's rights and children's rights. Yeah, even though I'm a human rights lawyer generally. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for that. So how would you say that you got into the world of women's rights and advocacy? Um, I feel like I just kind of fell into it, to be honest. Like I said, I, I was, I chose to study human rights law generally. I didn't even specify women's rights law because you could do gender law. Actually, that's what they used to call it. They didn't call it women's rights. They call it gender law. So you could do gender law, but I didn't really think I wanted to limit myself to just women's rights. I decided to just do general human rights. And then I found that, you know, when I moved back, I chose to work for a women's rights organization so I think that's when people now started associating me with women's rights but I just like I already knew them that was one of the human rights organizations I knew and you know of course I'm a woman so I'm pro women's rights and it just seemed to happen naturally I don't know I can't say there was like a specific moment when I went into women's rights yeah it could low-key be like divine intervention, I guess. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, because that was just the only NGO I knew. I could have worked in any NGO. I just decided to go for the one I knew because, you know, my auntie was working at the organization at the time. So it was just an easy entry for me, if I would call it that. And yeah, it seems to have taken on a life of its own. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's absolutely wonderful. So we know that you work with the BEE initiative. Um, would you be able to share a little bit about what that is? And does it have any connection to gendered violence and gender equality? Yeah, so um, after I left FIDA, I decided to go into the corporate world, or should I even call it more so the commercial world? Like now I'm a capitalist, I'm no longer focused on um, human rights and development work per se because I now decided I wanted to make money so I decided to start up my own NGO as my own way of still keeping that flame alive type of thing and that's what's called the initiative the butterfly effect empowerment initiative so the butterfly effect is actually a scientific theory that's under like the chaos theory is basically um explains how one small change results in like a much more like much larger effect so the same way like a butterfly is flapping its wings it could literally result in a hurricane somewhere else type of thing so me i now twisted that and thought oh you know i could think of that as also a way of like developing people's lives and sparking positive change so i may do something small i may just have a little conversation or i may just have a little outreach because I like I, it's just me running the NGO right now. I don't have any staff or anything, but I do believe that my small steps will still have a much larger effect in the society. Thank you so much for that intellectual explanation of the butterfly effect. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. And, um, you know, I definitely think that it all starts with small steps and that's how we can make change. Yeah. So, so I do want to know now, how do you use your weekly vlogs with Butterfly Transform Yourself to effect change on women's rights? By the way, so she, she's currently videoing, so we are probably going to be in this vlog. How we explore. Yes, you are, you are in this week's vlog. So I feel like it's things like this. You know, I have 
these kinds of conversations on my vlog, aside from showing you, you know, how I'm changing my hairstyle this week or how I'm doing my makeup, because even something as small as that is women's rights, because there are some people who come at me like, you change your hair so much and it's like is my hair i can't change it if i want to change it so you know i i feel like i just try and you know when they say don't talk the talk walk the walk so i feel like my vlogs are my way of showing you how to walk the walk of an empowered woman like i'm trying to defy the odds i'm you know i'm also always in and out of relationships people are always coming at me for that as well so i feel like by just living my life and planting different ideas of different lifestyles like or different forms of womanhood that people could experience i feel like it now helps enlighten whoever is watching me about what it is to really be a woman and what it is to expect that you are afforded equal rights and opportunities yeah and i'm also always open to feedback and criticism as well because i know that i also have my own um you know context and my own background and my own upbringing that has affected me in some ways even if I do preach women's rights all the time I know that there are also some things that are ingrained in me so I feel like also by sharing my own shortcomings it helps people enlighten me as well because they now respond to me like the other day I was having a cheating conversation and they were like "Ah, why would you say that your man can cheat and you you can't cheat and you know it it touched me like (laughs) What is that about you, especially your Instagram, how you use like the conversations and you're always very open to even accept when like, okay, for how's my perspective, is it that correct? Yeah. I, I could, honestly, I couldn't do that just because I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs> Instagram is like really, I'm really like interested about that. So. Thanks. Yeah, that was great. Um, so I hope, you know, we hope that you've been listening to our podcast so far. Um, so coming into this podcast today, how knowledgeable were you about each one of the lesser known topics that we've addressed so far? So stealthing, adultification, um, withdrawn consent. What would you say you've, you've given as far as like thought about the matter? Honestly, um, I think adultification is a big issue, especially in Nigeria. We know we have a lot of problems with child brides and our whole Islamic, um, should I call it allowance of the adultification of young northern girls, basically. But um, when it comes to stealthing, I really had no idea about it until this until this podcast, even though I have gone through a whole course on human rights law and women's rights and things like that. And, you know, I have all these conversations. When I saw your podcast was the first time, I was like, oh, what is stealthing? Like, I was even thinking it was something like stabbing or something like that. I didn't know it was like <laughs> just slipping yeah, off the condom, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about that. And with drawn consent, I did... Of course, you do have an idea because me, I have my own personal experience as a woman as well. So um, I did have an idea, but I didn't even know that there was a technical name for it and it was even considered an offense, basically. So yeah, your podcast definitely did enlighten me in that regard. Yeah. So even just talking about that legal aspect that you mentioned, are there? do you know if there are any laws in Nigeria that persecute offenders um, of rape or withdrawn consent you know at this time would you be able to share about that a little bit yeah so there are three main laws um, to consider in nigeria when it comes to sexual violence 
Um, the criminal code and the penal code. The criminal code is basically the criminal law that applies in the south of Nigeria. The penal code is the criminal law that applies in the north of Nigeria. And then with all the pressure from like women's rights organizations, and let me give credit to human rights organizations generally, with the rising rates of sexual violence and all of that, there was a new law which was passed in 2015, which is called the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Law. Because in the criminal code and the penal code, when, when you look at the definitions of the sexual offenses and the elements that, are, that need to be satisfied, because in law, you need to satisfy like the actors reals, the mens rea, like different elements of the act or of the offense, basically. So it's very limited in those laws. Like they, they didn't consider marital rape. They didn't consider um, male rape. It was only phrased in the sense of like a woman can be raped or only by penal penetration. So the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act expanded the definition. Now it includes marital rape. Now it includes, it's now gender friendly. You know, it's, it recognizes that both men and women can be raped. It's also includes like other forms of penetration but it still limits it to finger or objects when it can be anything and it doesn't obviously cover issues like stealthing or withdrawn consent like they are just even recognizing that a husband can rape his wife talk less of you already having sex and you withdraw your consent how <laughs> i don't even think nigerians have <laughs> they've yeah. gotten that far yet so that one hasn't reached the law but then the law is definitely improving even with the vap law they're already even making trying to reform the law because we've already seen that there are some limitations within the vap law itself so yeah there's there's there are some laws but there are no expansive laws let me put it like that in relation to laws i do have a question that was probably not sent to you already but um what do you consider so i'm not exactly sure what the maximum or even the minimum years for rapists in Nigeria. I've seen like 10, 8, 15. What is that actually? No, so that's what another thing that the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act did. It increased the maximum sentence to life life imprisonment. So that is the sentence for rape. But the issue is that there is no minimum sentence which is prescribed. So you would rarely see a judge who would give out that maximum sentence. I have seen rape cases, even though they didn't come under the VAP Act, that's another issue. This act has been in existence since 2015, but there are not a lot of people who actually use it in court. People are still scared to test it. So they go through either, oh, sorry, I meant to mention the Child Rights Act also covers um, sexual offenses for kids. So they will rather go through the Child Rights Act or the criminal code or the penal code that they are already used to. They don't they don't really want to test this VAP. And then you can see that one judge in one court is sentencing somebody to a 50,000 naira fine. Another judge in another court is sentencing somebody to two years imprisonment. So you rarely ever see them give out that harsh conviction. And you even rarely ever see them convict, in all honesty. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Not really being convicted. So that's kind of one of the reasons why people don't really want to speak out anyways, because... yeah that whole process i'm going to be ridiculed i'm going to be blamed and then it's going to there's not going to be justice for me so exactly so. before you even get justice it's going to be delayed because i even know like there are cases i'm working on as well that we've been in court for the last two years and every day is an adjournment obviously covid didn't help as well because that's courts were closed during that period so the matter just keep drawing on at you. Even when, by the time you now get the justice, you'll be feeling like, okay, is this really justice? Like when it took me this long to get there. So our, our criminal justice system, honestly, 
is really lacking when it comes to covering victims of sexual violence. No, definitely agree with you there. And I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and hopefully at some point, Nigeria can get to that stage where victims feel um, like they are getting that justice that they deserve. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about adultification. So do you think that women have a significant role of blame to take on adultification of the girl child? And if you do, why? Hmm, I, do, I don't know if, I, if it's fair to say a significant role, but I do definitely believe that women do play a role in the adultification of children because we you're already like pressured i feel like we're we women are raising girls with the mindset that you know all your you're already feeling like an adult at 10 because you're already thinking i need to marry before 20 21 25 so that in itself is already pressure that in itself is already you know encouraging adultification because you're already planting those seeds in the mind of the girls as well and then i feel like they are also very like pushover when it when it comes to demanding better standards from the guys because i feel like if you don't allow your 10 year old daughter be giving off if you yourself as a wife put pressure on your husband and be like no i'm not going to allow you um sell off my daughter or whatever then it, it wouldn't be allowed but i feel like a lot of women just accept that oh this is what happened to me so i'm going to pass this on to my own children and this is how your own life is also meant to go as well and you know, you also see, I, I dealt with a lot of cases when it came to the Abuja raids on women. Those were like prostitutes that were in clubs and things like that. And, you know, um, the head of the social development secretariat that actually ordered the arrest of those women were was um, a, a woman, a northern woman. And when you hear her talking about what a woman is supposed to be and who a woman is, like the role she's meant to play in society, it completely absorbs the clients of, you know, their own blame. Like, will prostitutes exist if there are no clients to pay them? Like, so... I feel like it, all those things, it just contributes. So you can imagine how that kind of woman will, and she's an elderly woman, so you, you know the amount of, of girls that are going to be under her influence. So you can just imagine, of course, she's adultificate, adultificating young girls. So yeah. I feel like women definitely have a role to play, but then I, I don't like to blame women for everything. So I won't say it's a significant role. So yeah. yeah, definitely agree with you there. Um, I do want to just ask, so we know that sexual assault and sexual violence is almost endemic in Nigeria right now. Like every day we hear of new cases, new assaults, um, new victims. But why do you think there is such a stigma or taboo on sexual assault? Like even just hearing about it is like, it's almost an issue for some people, but it's, it's clearly a widespread problem in the country yeah. and, and how would you say this has contributed to like victim blaming and you know people just not being able to speak up on their their offenders like how would you say all of this plays a role into it i think our religious background and our 
we have a culture of secrecy and a culture of silence generally in in our country you never want your your neighbors to know what you're doing or to look down on you or to feel like you're the one suffering or you're the one that's taboo or you know you can also now start feeling as if oh the, the child is possessed if they start getting raped like we're very occultic and shallow-minded sometimes in my in my opinion and me i'm a christian so i hate that i blame religion sometimes but i feel like i started practicing an enlightened form of christianity when i actually was able to travel abroad and understand that getting to heaven or hell is not by whether you sin is whether you actually believe that jesus came and died for your your sins but in nigeria i was already growing up with that idea of oh my god if i have sex i'm going to hellfire so if me self i hear that i've been raped i'm not going to if i've been raped i'm I'm already thinking i'm going to hellfire i don't even consider that oh um you know god sees beyond that and understands the full picture and all of that because they've already just planted that you know seed in your mind that it's just a taboo the act in itself is a taboo there's no excuse around the type of thing and i feel like it definitely does um, add to the victimization of survivors and the culture of silence doesn't help because you don't want to be the one that has like the scarlet letter on you that ah, you've been raped and you just decide okay let me just stay on my own or even if you open up to your family the family too will try and keep it within the family so that it's not as if this is a taboo family or these are a cost or abused family type of thing so yeah I think that one besides that point just the way in which they, they think it's your fault because you must have been wearing something you know you're a loose person or yeah doing that like so I, I think that's a different topic for a different day it's just how do we re-educate everyone to want have compassion to understand that no one wants to be raped it's the rapist's fault like there's not you can literally be dressed head to toe in something covering you and someone will still want to take that power away from you so it's how do you educate people to understand that okay also when i think about like little kids i've read stories about three-year-old girls being raped what did they do right so exactly six month old babies are raped like i have read cases about that as well like so societal reframing yeah yeah no that is true um but I do want to move on here really quickly. Um, so we've talked about these lesson learned acts, but now we want to talk about your perspective on social media and sexual violence. So as someone with, a communi- with communication and media expertise, um, how is social media, in your opinion, adding fuel to sexual assault and harassment? On one hand, I feel like it's adding fuel because obviously it gives people a lot more easier access to each other. I feel like that's even one of the greatest platforms for adultification. You see a young girl, if you go through her DMs, God knows the amount of men that are in there like, ah, baby, let me take you out tonight, you know, type of thing. So that that increase in access and... Um, just the connection increased connection between people i think it definitely 
adds fuel to the fire and then you know i know the first time i ever saw a leaked nude was on twitter so i feel like it also gives people a lot of confidence to just move anyhow and you know abuse people's privacy in that regard as well but then on the other hand i think i need to also give credit to social media because i know i have learned so much about consent and about sexual violence from social media like i always say like me self i have conversations where me i'll mess up too and I will learn from that. So I had a conversation about rape that had a lot of backlash, but it really enlightened me about the different degrees of responsibility because I don't know if you know the conversation, if, you, if it's even worth mentioning here, but because I had heard that one of my friends was maybe involved in a sexual, in an act of sexual violence, I was not trying to say, oh, what if he was watching on the sidelines and maybe he wasn't actually doing anything? Not knowing that that's still aiding and abetting, like, you know, like, but in my mind, you're trying to justify who it could be, but, sorry, you're trying to justify the person, person's actions based on who you know them to be, but in reality, like, violation is a violation, it doesn't matter who does it, like, there's no excuse around it, like, the abuse just has to be recognized for what it is, even if you're sitting down on the sidelines, like, your silence is an abuse as well, you know, so... I feel like social media has is good and it's bad. Something else that just popped in my mind as well. Yeah, I can't help but think about, you know, Bukola Dakolo's, Kebusala Dakolo's case that went viral online and stuff. I feel like, you know, those, it wasn't not on Instagram that she came out and said, okay, no, she did an interview. But I feel like I heard about it on Instagram anyways, you know. So, yeah, so... I feel like it has, it's adding fuel, but it's also adding fire extinguisher at the same time because it's giving you the two sides, like. <laughs> yeah, definitely been, social media has definitely had a major impact on getting awareness and getting people to really know what's happening. And I think, because people can be really complicit sometimes, and when you stare something, that really starts revolutions when people know that this is actually a problem. So the more stories, yeah. are, the better. Yeah, and now on to resources. Um, I do want to find out, so how do you navigate being a woman, especially a career woman in Nigeria, amidst the growing sexual harassment and abuse endemic? Like, do you get any pushbacks? Like, how do you manage all of this? Hmm, now... <laughs> I don't want anybody to come for me, but me, I feel like I've found my way around it. I use it to my advantage because there is no way you go that they're not going to hit on you or they're not going to try and use their position of dominance or power over you. And I have just, I feel like I find, I kind of use it to my advantage. But I remember when Toke came out and said something like this, people were like, ah, you're encouraging girls to use men. And what if it's like, if you're about to use me, me, I'll use you first now. As in like, so you get, <laughs> I feel like I, 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 that was the best way I knew to navigate because you can't avoid it. You actually can't. Even, wow, I feel like there are some things I shouldn't say, but like there are even people like in top positions, even in the human rights field that you think, oh, you're helping these people. This person is working for human rights and knows what they are doing is wrong. But they are still going to try and hit on you. They are still going to try and take the relationship from professional to personal. So use it to your advantage. Like you take what you can and leave the rest for them. As in, and once you see that it's getting too risky, you exit. Like flee. Like no tomorrow. Flee like a butterfly. From so that's that's just how me I, I think about it. Yeah. Like and that may not be the best advice. I know 
some people will just be like, oh, get out. But the reality of Nigeria, me, I've seen that you can't avoid it, Jan. Anywhere you go, you always get that pressure. So you just have to know how to handle it in your own way that you're going to not compromise yourself. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's great advice because sometimes it's just impossible to run away. Um, you just have to be smarter in the way that you strategic. deal. Strategic. Yeah, strategic as well. Um, so coming from your legal and, you know, media perspective, what do you think is the most important resource for supporting women's rights and welfare in Nigeria? Um, it could be laws, equal pay, transparency, you know, women in leadership positions, policies, education, etc. Like, what do you think is the most important resource? Mm, I think the arts are the most important resource, like um, music, paintings, um, podcasts, <laughs> social media content. I think the arts are really going to make a difference. I even love that, you know, you guys are having this thing about, oh, what's one song or book? Because it's like, every arts is universal. So everybody is going to be able to, which is a law. You know, yeah. that's something like, the, when they were trying to pass that VAP law, at first they called it the Gender and Equal Opportunities Bill. But once men in parliament had gender, they were like, no, 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 we're not passing this. So they had to change the name and all of that. So if it's the law, if people like, and I feel like there's a way that art ingrains in you without even you re really realizing that it's really influencing you, the art just kind of flows through you. So I think the art is just like the greatest resource and it includes everything creative like it could be a painting and there's an element to it about sexual violence that you it may not be so obvious on the first look but then the more you look at it the more you see the picture type of thing so i think the arts for me i was going to say education but i also think that piggybacks off the arts because in a way that's still educating people but it's not forced yeah yeah more to music and art and reading so in a way that also helps to kind of get the message out there because sometimes i go on social media and the things i see it's mind-boggling and i'm like who raised you <laughs> exactly <laughs> help people understand that like you know sometimes that crazy maybe maybe music is what we need for sure yeah <laughs> I definitely also agree that arts definitely is the is the best option right now because I, I paint and I've made some paintings as far as like to help sh spread awareness on domestic violence and sexual assaults. Um, so I think when people look at my art and they, they're able to relate that character that I've painted, that piece, I think that makes me feel very happy and I, and it definitely is easy on the eyes and easy yeah. on the mind um, as far as like just being able to spread awareness, create some sort of relation and just still get the message across. So I definitely will have to agree with you. The arts is, is definitely the best and most important resource at this time. Um, so thank you so much for, you know, joining us on this podcast today and for giving us all these wonderful intellectual responses. I think you have been able to hit the nail on the head and, you know, it's been very, it's been a pleasure listening to you. Um, you sound thank so intelligent and I <laughs> thank you. That. No, seriously, I've been very much impressed by all your answers today. 
Um, I think the last question I just have is, you know, someone is going to be listening to this podcast um, at some point in their lives. What would you say to that person? Um, especially if that person is going through some sort of victimization or victim blaming, um, especially with those three aforementioned issues, the style thing, adultification, withdrawn consent, you know, how can they find and maintain their identity through those notions? Hmm. I think that it's very important to reclaim your story like you have to you have to take control of the narrative um i don't know how to go into it further because at first it may not make a difference you may even face even more backlash i keep thinking of bukola because she's like the most iconic one that we have up till date but like it happened so many years ago so people are like why did she bother coming out to share her story but she her mind she would have remained a victim because those that know would have known what they thought they knew without really knowing. I'm sure those are even the people that came out with the story that she was his girlfriend or something at that point. But the point is that until she, until you come out to reclaim your story and to tell things as they are, you're really even a victim to yourself and to your own insecurities. I feel like there's so much courage and there's so much empowerment you can get from sharing your story and from, reclaiming your own truth like it doesn't have to be a national broadcast so it may even just be your best friend it may even just be your journal that somebody may find one day but just make sure that you don't keep whatever it is that happened inside you and keep on blaming yourself release release your story reclaim your time reclaim your energy reclaim your truth and you know i feel like you would definitely thrive and be empowered from there that is that hits the nail of the coffin like that is beyond <laughs> right it's healing that's reclaim your story get your healing go from victim to survivor exactly yeah so exactly having you on today akube this is just super insightful um i'm beyond excited to see like where you go from here um we should definitely thank you try to work together again in the future because you know you're brilliant um, <laughs> thank you i'd love to like honestly you guys are so impressive as well i'm so proud you're also aquarius girls that means we're really taking over because <laughs> like i was so impressed like I, and it's so sad i thought you were a man like i'm now i'm now happy like i'm not happy to know that i was a woman that was this efficient like yeah <laughs> and, um, thank you guys. <laughs> which is that a lot of a lot of our listeners probably don't even know who we are so this- <laughs> say i'm bubba chi um i'm a researcher at the center for building performance and diagnostics i'm working on my phd at carnegie mellon and my co-host mm-hmm. my sister waku can you give us a little breakdown of yourself girl sure um my name is waku and i'm um i am a master's student at columbia university i'm studying technology management and of course i co-founded this um, platform called the second platform with my sister we hope that we will be able to spread awareness on lesser known acts like you know adultification stealthing and just bring more awareness to sexual assault and gender-based violence thank you Thank 
have been listening to the lesser knowns please subscribe and follow us on all our social media accounts at the second platform to stay updated everything is green over here everything you want and think about now i got your back all the way and everything is all right i like how you're doing all right